Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly, and it is a privilege to be with you today and share in God's Word as we dig deeper into the passages we have for us. We are located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. We would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We also have a Sunday school hour at 9 o'clock in midweek programming. If you are interested, we encourage you to call the church and find out more details or find us um, on the internet at sdfcnaz.com. This particular uh, day, we are looking at Psalm 29, a beautiful psalm that has um, some interesting characteristics to it. It is believed to be one of the oldest psalms we have, so it dates back early into the history of the Israelites. It also has some similarities to some Canaanite writings, which means that this could have been adapted from or a reaction to some of the Canaanite literature. It certainly is an effort to address the differences between the faith of the Israelites and the religion of the Canaanites. The Canaanites had a number of gods that they believed in. One of those was Baal. Baal believed to be the god over all the storms and weather. Um, It is believed that Baal defeated the other gods and became the supreme god within the Canaanite religion. He is sometimes depicted in pictures as holding lightning bolts in his hand. Well, this particular psalm pushes against that notion and declares Yahweh as the only God, the true God, the supreme one who oversees all and is in control of all nature. It was often among the Israelites typical to believe in the God who oversaw the history of the Israelite people. But we find throughout their history the wavering in the ways in which they believed God controlled all life and all circumstances, and this establishes the supremacy of God and God's power and control. So I would love to read Psalm 29 for us today, beginning in verse 1 and continuing through the end in verse 11. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of the Lord's holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful and the voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Syrian like like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people And the Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, I'm guessing you noticed the number of times the name Yahweh is mentioned. I believe it's as many as 18 times in 11 verses. The word for the Lord is spoken again and again, almost as if the writer is trying to proclaim that this is the supreme being, the ruler of all things, the God of all creation, and wants to repeat the name so many times so that the listener or the reader will realize that this is the one whom we worship and the one in whom we place our trust. This is a God of holiness and power, of strength and glory, of splendor, and one who watches over us. Well, in addition to the use of the name of God, we also have something else that is mentioned um, in several places, and that is the voice of the Lord being over the waters. Now, part of this, as I said earlier, is probably a reaction to the uh, religion and faith of the Canaanites and trying to make a distinction between the Israelites' faith and that of the people that are nearby and surround them. But it is interesting the number of references to the Lord being the Lord over the waters. We find it in several places. Um, verse 3, it speaks about the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And then in verse 10, the voice of the Lord or the Lord is enthroned over the flood. This reference to water is found throughout Scripture. It's a theme we find again and again. In fact, as we talked about last week, if we go back to the opening of Scripture, we find an equally powerful reference. The beginning of Genesis begins this way, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. At the very beginning, there is this proclamation that God's Spirit moves over the waters. We have the wonderful telling of um, the end of the flood, where Noah sends out a dove. The dove often represents the Spirit of God. And here we have the dove being sent out three times. Once it flies out and comes back. Another time it flies out and brings a twig back. And then the third time it flies out and finds a place to nest and to remain. And this movement of the dove, a beautiful symbol of God's spirit, moving across the face of the waters and in so doing, providing direction for Noah and a reprieve from the destruction that had taken place. We have in Luke chapter 3, verse 27, the Spirit of God descended like a dove over the Jordan waters. And this is at the time of the baptism of Jesus. But once again, the Spirit of God described like a dove, but descending over the waters of the Jordan. So it doesn't seem to us to be a surprise that here we would see that theme picked up again. Now, what I'm about to say is just an observation. I don't 
think it's intended at all to come out of this passage of Scripture. I just find it interesting that science tells us that 60% of our body is water and almost 75% of our heart and brain are water. So when we think about the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters, it to me is very comforting to know that that's what I'm composed of. That's what makes up who I am. And the Spirit of God moves over the waters of my life. Not only symbolically, the troubled waters or the calm waters, the refreshing waters, the rain, or the flood waters that cause calamity. But in addition to that, the waters of my heart, the waters of my thoughts, literally the water in my body and spiritually the water of my life, God's Spirit pours over and works through and moves in and abides with me in all of those circumstances. Which leads me to the purpose of the Psalms. Here we have Psalm 29 in the midst of a large collection of what we sometimes reference as songs or hymns or poetry. And it is all of that, but we miss the poignancy of these psalms if we don't recognize that they are prayers. These are the prayers of God's people. We've been given a wonderful insight as to how others pray. And I don't know about you, but I need insights on how to pray because sometimes prayer is, is just difficult. It, it's hard because I don't always know how to pray. I sometimes pray after models of uh, having heard my parents pray or other people pray in church. But one of the powerful tools that Psalms provides the Psalms provide for us is this notion that here are the heartfelt prayers of people who have gone before us. It's almost like a teaching manual. And it lose a little, loses a little bit of its poignancy, as Peterson says in his description of the Psalms, because of its translation. Not that the translation is wrong into our language, but somehow the translation seems to, um, oh, homogenize it or, uh, or pull away some of the raw, hard, difficult statements. Again, not that the translation is wrong, but somehow we miss the language of the people. Kind of the raw Hebrew, this is how I'm feeling right now, and I'm just not going to cover it up. There are prayers throughout Psalms that if we look at them closely are incredibly raw, are honest, not necessarily intended to teach us theological perspectives, but to teach us what it means to bear our soul. To say, as the psalmist says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I don't see you anywhere nearby. And based on what I know about the law, it doesn't appear as if you care about what's going on. 
That's the nature of the Psalms. It's a call to be gut honest with God. I sometimes find myself kind of uh, washing up my prayers so they sound right, or feeling like I need to get my life right before I come before God. Instead of just saying, God, here it is. This is what the days look like. This is how I've been. This is what I've done. This is where I'm frustrated, where I'm angry, where I'm upset, where I'm hurt, where I'm in pain. Or this is also where things have gone well. I've found myself joyful. I'm happy in this moment. The simplest of prayers that we have are summed up in these two words, thanks and help. And maybe those are the only two prayers you might have today. Help, God. I don't know what else to tell you. Just help. Or maybe at the end of the day, having enjoyed some things that you feel like are blessings that were beyond your own control, they just came to you um, as gestures of God and the universe pouring out on you. And your prayer is simply this. Thank you. Thank you, God. Those are the simplest of prayers. And I would suggest that most of our prayers are expansions on those two very simple words. But they are expansions that have to come with honesty and transparency. We seek out truth and grace in prayer. Sometimes we find truth through study. And we learn details of how the world works. And we believe how God works. And sometimes in those moments, our faith becomes very heady, very knowledgeable. But grace comes through prayer. And if we haven't combined both truth and grace, then we miss out on the complexity and the simplicity of what it means to be a follower of Christ and a believer in what God is doing. So certainly we seek out more knowledge and truth, but if we've not paired it with prayer and the understanding of grace and forgiveness and peace, then we have missed the Spirit's wonderful gift to us. We have... Um, the Chaldeans again, who believed that the voice in thunder was Baal. I remember as a kid learning the technique of seeing the lightning off in the distance and then counting so many seconds to see how far away the lightning was because the sound of the lightning, what we call thunder, traveled slower than light. Sound travels slower than light, and so we would see the lightning before we would hear the clap of thunder. And if you counted, you could get a, an understanding of how far away the lightning was. Somehow that was supposed to be comforting, that if the clap of thunder 
frightened us, but it came a good distance after the lightning, we would know that it, the storm was not really right on top of us. But it was always hard not to just jump a little bit when a loud clap of thunder would take place. Well, I think one of the beautiful things about that understanding of lightning and thunder, it's the knowledge piece that comes. And yet there is certainly no question that lightning is a powerful, powerful entity that can split trees and certainly can be deadly if it strikes us. So there's no wonder that the Canaanites attributed it to something that was far bigger than themselves and attributed it to Baal. But here very clearly the psalmist says, no, all of nature belongs to God. It's under God's oversight. God is the one who is in charge. And so we have in John at the baptism where God speaks over Jesus before any miracles take place, before we hear of any of the mighty works of Jesus, God speaks and says, here is my son in whom I am well pleased. In some ways, this is God's prayer over us, who speaks over us speaking over water before we even produce a thing. It is God's declaration that we belong to God. And it is that very declaration that the psalmist pours forth in Psalm 29. It is an invitation for us to recognize God's movement over us, but it is also an invitation to pray. Scripture calls us to pray without ceasing. I have found that difficult when I think of it in terms of never stopping bowing my head or offering a prayer. But if our life becomes a prayer, if our life becomes a reflection of God's grace, then prayer becomes much like breathing. It is what we do when we live out our faith. But our prayers have to be honest as well. Like the psalmist in Psalm 6, uh, verse 3, the psalmist here just says, Come on, God, how long is it going to take? What an honest prayer. Come on, God. Sometimes our prayers need to be that forthright. In the midst of frustration or in the midst of joy. In the midst of hurt or in the midst of hope. In the midst of discouragement or in the midst of blessing. We allow our heart to cry out and to say, Oh God, where are you? Or, Oh God, I'm so thankful. Oh God, help. Oh God, thank you. May the psalmist's invitation to us be an invitation to a personal relationship 
with a personal God who is sovereign over all things and his glory is painted over all of creation. Let us find ourselves this week moving into prayer with a God who has promised to not only be with us, but to abide in us. Those are the words of Jesus in John 14, who has prepared a place for us that we, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, might dwell within you and me. Thanks be to God. O Lord, we thank you for the honesty of the psalmist, for the beauty of the psalms, and for this particular one that speaks of your sovereignty and of your glory in the midst of all of the things around us that make us question, wonder why, wonder even if our faith is true, Bring us back in those honest moments. Touch our life by your spirit. Allow your spirit to move over the waters of our life, the waters of our heart, the waters of our head and our brain. May our thoughts and our feelings begin to understand in some small way your grace, your glory, your love for us, and your desire to abide not only with us, but in us. So, Lord, hear us when we pray, why? Or where are you? Or how long? Hear us as well when we pray, thank you. Glory to your name. Our love and praise to you, our creator and our redeemer. We offer our lives to you and ask that you live in us and draw us to a life of being loved by you and loving others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now may God's grace be with you. May God's love pour over you. And may you be filled with God's peace for this week. Hope you have a blessed week and look forward to being with you again.